The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. As we're closer to the end times than ever before, how do you think God should respond to this world that seems headed for a global crisis? Will God abandon mankind to destroy this planet with nuclear warfare? Or will God intervene by sending back Jesus to take charge of the planet? Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Many preachers and teachers are predicting a great revival before the Lord Jesus returns, and we pray always for a great awakening. It's encouraging that there are pockets of revival wherever people are faithful to preach truth and to do the faithful work of an evangelist. But we also have to face the fact that the Lord predicted a great falling away from the faith prior to the end of days. This is known as the great apostasy and is often overlooked as an end time sign. But in fact, apostasy is one of the major signs of the closing of the age when men will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. According to a Gallup poll, 73% of Americans were church members in 1937, but since then, church membership has steadily declined. For those of us who were well aware of the season and how short time really is until the end of the church age, one concern is uppermost in our minds. Will our loved ones have an opportunity to be saved? And is there still time to reap a great harvest of souls in the nations? All around us every day, we see so many people who don't have a saving knowledge of the Lord, and they seem to be racing towards hell with blind unconcern for their eternal state. Many professing Christians are biblically illiterate and erroneously argue that the church has replaced Israel in God's plan, and many others are not looking at all for the return of the Lord, even though all the signs Jesus gave us are converging. Many of the churches also tragically claim that Bible prophecy was fulfilled back in A.D. 70, so they are spiritually inoculated to the obvious end-time signs upon us now. Before the Lord returns, I'd love to see another great awakening in America and in Britain. The prophet Joel foresaw powerful ministry taking place in the end times, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And will this happen before or after the rapture? Well, Scripture tells us that 144,000 witnesses will trigger a great revival during the future tribulation period. The Apostle John certainly foresaw a great move of God in Revelation 7-9, where he wrote, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, from all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne 
and before the lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands. That's a staggering scene that every true evangelist covets to see. And I believe this future revival in the tribulation period will be the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus's promise found in Matthew 24, 14, where he said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The great British man of God, John Wesley, once ambitiously said, give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and they will shake the gates of hell, and they will set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. We so admire a bold evangelist like that. But to get the job completely done, there will not be just a hundred preachers as John Wesley wished for, but there will be 144,000 men who will be completely sold out and they will be Jews and Israelites whom the Lord will seal for the work of God at the close of the age. Too many Bible commentaries, unfortunately, have attributed these verses concerning the 144,000 Jews and Israelites to the church. However, the book of Revelation plainly states that they will be 12,000 Jews and Israelites from 12 Jewish and Israelite tribes. They will not be married also because they are going to devote all their time and energy to following the Lamb, the Messiah, wherever he goes. This great company of 144,000 Jews are introduced in Revelation chapter 7, and they reappear in chapter 14, where they're seen standing on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, along with the Lamb, Jesus. Bible prophecy teachers call these 144,000 men Christ's commandos because they're destined to lead multitudes to the Messiah. And we see the fruit of their harvest in Revelation chapter 7. In fact, they themselves are the first fruits of the harvest during the future period known as the tribulation or Jacob's trouble. They're the first fruits of the great multitude, which no man can number from every tribe, nation, and people and language group. So says Revelation 7, 9. These 144,000 Jews and Israelites will receive a special commissioning and also their commandos because they have supernatural protection from the Lord. In Revelation 7, 3, an angel ascends with the seal of the living God and instructs four other angels, do not harm the sea, the earth, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. The forehead is the most conspicuous part of mankind and scripture affirms that no one is going to be able to harm the 144,000 men of God because God is going to seal them with immunity against the powers of darkness. Just as the Antichrist will seal the doom of earth dwellers when they receive his mark in their foreheads, so the 144,000 will be supernaturally marked in their foreheads, but with the seal of God. Isn't that amazing that God has a divine seal and exemption from judgment and the Antichrist will also have his own sinister seal. This idea of sealing the company of the 144,000 on their foreheads 
can be compared with a reference in the Hebrew scriptures in Ezekiel 9, 4, in which the Lord instructed an angel to go throughout Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over the detestable things done in this city. And in Ezekiel 9, 6, those marked were protected from being killed when judgment began at the house of God. By the way, it's remarkable that the word in this Ezekiel passage rendered mark is the name of the Hebrew letter Tav, which just happened to be an ancient form of a cross. Well, it's good to know that our merciful God never leaves the world without a witness, even during the future tribulation period of his divine wrath. Jesus promised in several places in the New Testament that he would take the church, the true believers of this present age, to be with him before the beginning of the last period in human governments called the Great Tribulation. The evacuation of true believers will be accomplished, as the Apostle Paul described, in a supernatural operation called the gathering together in the air, better known as the rapture or the departure of the church, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is because Jesus said in Luke 21, 36, that we should pray to escape the outpouring of God's wrath. While on the other hand, believers have always been subject to trials and tribulations, even now, we are not destined to experience God's unprecedented wrath during the great tribulation, a time Jesus said that will be without parallel. In Revelation 13, we learn that the Antichrist will control the whole world economically, but nevertheless, God will have his powerful witnesses for a great harvest. Not only the 144,000 Jews and Israelites, but also God's two spokesmen, also known as the two witnesses, are introduced in Revelation chapter 11. And these two spiritual giants will operate in signs and wonders, as did Moses and Elijah. And there will also be a gospel angel flying in midair. Revelation 14, 6 prophesies, John said, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth, to preach to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Yet there's going to be a price to receive this gospel from all these powerful emissaries. No one on earth will be able to buy or sell unless they submit to the so-called mark of the beast imprinted onto their right hands or foreheads. This some kind of tattoo technology will amount to a branding, will amount to the Antichrist ownership of a person, lock, stock, and barrel, because they will be permanently marked with his name and number. In God's mercy, another gospel angel is going to warn the earth that anyone who receives this damnable mark will experience the fury of God's wrath, never to be forgiven. In Revelation 14, we're given a glimpse of the final harvest, which the Lord reaps. The first time Jesus came to earth, he came as an obedient servant. The next time he will come as commanding judge and sovereign king to take control of the whole earth and to rule with a rod of iron. He'll no longer be the humble servant, but now he'll be the earth's majestic king. 
He first came as the Savior in love and mercy, but on his second coming, he will judge the disobedient and save the persecuted remnant among Israel. The first time Jesus came as the good shepherd to seek and save the lost. Now he's coming to sentence the lost. In Revelation 14, 9 to 11, an angel warns in a loud voice concerning the Antichrist. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they shall have no rest day or night. Anyone who worships the beast in his image or who receives the mark of his name. That is such a stern warning. And this is the outpouring of God's wrath in a time when the Antichrist will desecrate the holy place on Jerusalem's Temple Mount and persecution against Israel will reach its apex. The entire earth, the seas, the rivers, the heavens will be filled with unprecedented calamities, disasters, and divine judgments. In fact, the present concerns over climate change will seem by comparison like a picnic. The Great Tribulation period will be the worst time in world history. And then suddenly will come the final harvest. Listen to the testimony of the Apostle John in Revelation 14, 14. And he echoes imagery from the apocalyptic book of Daniel. And I looked and behold, a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man having a golden crown on his head and in his hand is what? A sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, swing your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud, and this is none other than the Lord Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. This reaping, this harvest speaks of a great, sudden, quick act of God. No doubt the greatest harvest in history. That's the first harvest of the people of God. But then in sharp contrast, another angel cried out with a loud voice, Swing your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vines of the earth because her grapes are fully ripe for judgment. The angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And this is where the expression, the grapes of wrath comes from. And in Revelation 14, 20, the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood came up from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. According to some Bible translations, that's almost 200 miles. This description of the grape juice turning into a flood of blood implies the horrific nature of the judgment. And we shouldn't be surprised because this passage about the grapes of wrath in Revelation 14 was already foreseen in the Hebrew scriptures, in the books of Joel and also in Isaiah 
chapter 63. Let's turn there right now and listen to Isaiah 63 describing the Lord coming in both end time judgment and salvation. It asks, who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. And the Lord answers the question, it is I, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. And then it's asked, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? And the Lord answers again, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples, no one was with me for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me and my own fury. It sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. The same themes of judgment and the end time harvest are also found in Joel chapter three. Listen, starting with verse 13, swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes for the wine press is full and the vats are overflowing. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and a strength for the children of Israel. So see, as this passage progresses, notice the contrast moving from judgment on the nations to the future blessings of Israel during the millennium. So you shall know that I am the Lord, your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy and foreigners shall never pass through her again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. The hills will flow with milk and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness because of violence done against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For the Lord says, I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed whom I had not acquitted for the Lord dwells in Zion. These lofty prophecies call for a moment of reflection. Do you see how the prophecies of Joel and Isaiah dovetail with Revelation chapter 14? Jesus warned about the wrath to come, as did John the Baptist before him, as did the apostle Peter. And in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, the apostle Paul sternly warned 
also about the wrath of God at the second coming of Jesus, where Paul prophesied the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in blazing fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and who do not obey the gospel. The Lord Jesus clearly prophesied this harvest of wrath in his parable of the weeds in the field. And he gave an eschatological end-time interpretation of his parable to his disciples in Matthew 13. When they came to him asking for an explanation of the parable of the weeds. And Jesus replied that the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. But the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, Jesus said, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are collected and burned in the fire, so will be the end of the age. And the Son of Man will send out his angels. See, this sounds like the book of Revelation. And they will weed out of his kingdom every cause of sin and all who practice lawlessness. And they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So in Matthew 13, Jesus said the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers will be the angels. Therefore, just as the tares, the weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send forth his angels and they're going to gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks. Everybody who commits lawlessness will be weeded out and thrown into the furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So to summarize these end time prophecies concerning reaping and harvest, let's observe that we see two harvests that will be swiftly and sharply reaped. And this is not speculation. This is exactly what the Bible teaches for the last days. First, there's the grain harvest representing the great harvest of souls, God's people, but followed by a second harvest, the grape harvest, representing accumulated judgments. In both harvests, there's a sharp sickle. And let's look again at the description of the blessed reaper in Revelation 14, 14. John said, and I looked and behold, a white cloud and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man having a golden crown. This is Stephanus in Greek, meaning a victor's crown. And in his hand, a sharp sickle. This description parallels the vision of the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, which I want to read to you quickly, beginning with verse 13, where Daniel wrote, In my vision in the night, I continued to watch, and I saw one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given dominion, glory, and kingship that the people of every nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now over in Revelation 14, Jesus, the Son of Man, we see him harvesting the earth. And that's why we're not supposed to pull up the weeds in this dispensation because the weeds, the tares, can be indistinguishable to us. 
it's the work of the sovereign Lord to sort out the harvest. He knows all the hearts of men. He also knows who are the sheep and who are the goats. And concerning the grape harvest, men have always known judgment day is coming. In the Psalms, in the prophets, wicked men are seemed always to be prospering and they are decried. And many saints have wondered if God will ever avenge his people. But Revelation teaches that vengeance is coming. Be patient. God's anger will reach its limit and he will sin. The man with whom he will judge the world, namely the Lord Jesus, Yeshua. As I've reviewed in this broadcast today, there's no doubt that we're living in perilous times leading up to the return of our Messiah, Yeshua, and therefore we need courage and grace to persevere. And most of all, we need the blessed hope that's mentioned in Titus 2.13, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus, our Messiah. This is our happy hope that Jesus will soon appear and take us to an event that Revelation 19.9 calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. Think of how many people will wait along a roadside hour upon hour ever so patiently just to catch a brief glimpse of some passing royalty or politician. But how many believers are waiting for the appearing of our Prince and King? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us what we need to do, if anything, to be ready for the sudden appearing of Jesus. It's so important to be ready to renounce a wrong course of action and to adopt the correct course, the way of the cross, and to fix our sights upon a glorious future when the Lord will return and take us to himself forevermore. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast, and you are invited. All you have to do is accept the Lord's free invitation. And if you have not made the Lord Jesus your Savior, I urge you to receive him now. It's a decision you'll never regret. For how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation and invitation? It's absolutely free and unmerited, yet available to all who sincerely call upon the Lord in spirit and in truth for salvation. Amen. Now, if you have any questions or comments, it's so easy to connect on social media. I always try to read as many comments as possible and to respond when I can. I also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our weekly emails and where you can watch all our videos or learn details about our next prayer convocation in Israel. Please don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app and subscribe to our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site. And please tell your friends about our ministry and this platform. Thanks for watching, and until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha, and Shalom. When you visit the Jerusalem Channel website, you can watch all our videos with closed caption subtitles. Select the closed caption logo at the bottom right corner of the video screen and select English.
Jerusalem Channel Facebook page, you can select closed captions in English, Spanish, Portuguese, and Arabic. The Jerusalem Channel YouTube site has closed captions in English.